Intellectually petty radio on your stereo Don't compare us to anything, this is a different scenario We break records while we pushing the culture forward Great music and big vibes right in that order Intellectually petty radio on your stereo Don't compare us to anything, this is a different scenario We break records while we pushing the culture forward Great music and big vibes right in that order And you are now tuned into another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio, brought to you by M3S3 Clothing. Men make moves and suckers stand still. And today we got an early edition, special edition. We got the one, the only, the King Kong of consciousness, the Prince of Pan-Africanism, the man himself, Dr. Umar, in the building. How you doing, King? How's life? Pan-Africanism. How's it going? Good, brother. I'm doing good, man. How's your family? I'm well. All is well, sir. Can you do me one small favor? Can you uh, turn your phone to the side for me so we get that landscape view? Uh, I don't know if that's going to work for where I am, but let's give it a shot. Oh, that's perfect right there. Okay. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right. Yo, man, Um, where do I start, man? Let me ask you this. And I got a lot of questions, but... um. At what point in life did you realize that you had a gift to, 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 to capture people just by your words? Uh, I'm not sure if I really realized that until uh, my high school years, maybe even college. I remember in college, um, I was part of a student organization and uh, we had a debate between myself and the opposing team mm-hmm. and one of the opponents who was a hater of mine. He had uh, said that uh, I was a very good speaker. He said, uh, you know, you have the ability to draw people in. You speak very well, very effective. I remembered that comment Mm -hmm. because he was a hater. And, you know, normally your haters don't give you uh, accolades. And I don't think he intentionally did it. He didn't do it, you know, as a uh, comment. I think he just spoke out of the abundance of his heart. But that is something that always remained with me, the way that he said that. He was one of the first people, mm-hmm. although an adversary, to you know publicly declare that you know, he felt I had a gift. When I was in high school, I had a female classmate who said the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. She said, you have, a very, uh, you have a gift of speaking. You have a way of talking that pulls people in. So I would say the female classmate in high school and then the male adversary in college, they were the first two people to actually uh, speak to what they felt was my oratorical skill. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, I kind of ascended in the uh, black consciousness community globally around 2010 that I really began to notice that people were heavily influenced by my speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yesterday, to give you an idea, I was uh, out running some errands in Philadelphia and I uh, walked into one uh, business and it was a sister sitting there and she looked and she said, you look just like, uh, she said, do you know Dr. Umar Johnson? <laughs> I said, this is he. And she literally jumped up out the seat and grabbed me and hugged me. And she just went off like, oh my God, oh my God. And um, everybody stopped and looked like, who is this guy? 
you know, um, and we took a photo. And then last night I went to a restaurant and another sister was coming out and she mm-hmm. said, oh, my God, Dr. Ooh, and she yelled outside and everybody froze again. And that's the first time I had that twice in the same day. But it just happened yesterday. You know, my point is experiences like that kind of reminds me of the magnitude of my responsibility. So for me, you know, it doesn't go towards strengthening my ego. It goes towards strengthening my commitment to my work. Okay. I understand that, man. You you have you you probably oh I won't say probably you are you know in in, in the black consciousness you are the, the 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 guy at the top of the mountain. Um with that comes a lot of hate. I mean, especially over the school. Um, congratulations. I saw it. Looks beautiful. Supposed to be opening uh, next year, correct? In August. Uh, yes, sir. September 3rd will be the first day of school 2024 for our second, third and fourth grade academy for boys. Were you disappointed in the hate or was any of it actually uh, constructive criticism that you took to heart? Uh, none of it's constructive because haters don't have constructive criticism. They're not there to help propel you. They're there to destroy okay. you. So none of it is constructive. Um, I would say when I first came into the national black consciousness community back in 2010, 13 years ago, I was naive because I thought everybody in consciousness was there to help our people. And I had to learn the hard way that black consciousness for many personalities was another form of Hollywood. It was another form of entertainment. They use it to get paid. They use it to build fame for themselves. They use it to meet women. They don't use it to help anybody. If you look at black consciousness today, where is the activism? There's no activism in the consciousness community. It's all intellectual masturbation. That's it. Nobody's building anything except me. Nobody's fighting none of the major problems. And when I say building, I'm not talking about restaurants and barbershops. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about the major institutions. I'm talking of schools, banks, hospitals, supermarkets, manufacturing and distribution networks. And when I say fighting against the problems, I'm talking about directly fighting against miseducation as I do, um, mass incarceration as I do, police genocide, gentrification, access to wealth. Those are the five biggest problems. And on the other hand, you have your five major institutions. If you took a survey across the conscious community and say, who's trying to build one of these five institutions and who's tackling one of these five major problems, you would come up short. Almost nobody is. It's all intellectual masturbation, uh, dealing with history, dealing with religion, dealing with aspects of culture, dealing with our origin as if that's going to change anything at all. We can fight all day long as to where we come from, but that's not stopping any of our problems. It's a lot of misdirected energy. And so for me, I was very thankful to the most high mm-hmm. that the creator put me in a position to be as popular as I am globally, because I'm not just relevant here, I'm relevant on every continent. I'm the only conscious personality that's relevant on every continent in this country. Mm-hmm. And to, to, to be in a position to raise those funds that I did, you know, the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy is the first school in American history that was literally built by the African diaspora. Every continent, almost every country contributed to that school. So that's not just an American African thing. That's a Pan-African project. And we're the first school in the history of this country to be exclusively funded by the African diaspora. No white money, no bank loans, no handouts, no government financing. We're the first to do it. And it was done on the strength Mm 
mm-hmm. of my following and the support base that I have around the world. So that speaks right there, you know, to the love I get. Of course, you get the hate, you know, because you can't have the gift without the curse, you know. But for every detractor I have, I probably have a million supporters. The difference between my supporters and my detractors is that the detractors are very uh, aggressive. Mm-hmm. They're very consistent. Uh, they are very diabolical in what they do. And the reason they have to be consistent is they know that they're fighting an uphill battle against an entire avalanche of support. So you know when you're trying to take somebody down who is loved by a lot of people, you have to be consistent yeah. in your yeah. game. And that's why when you look at the detractors, they're constantly making videos. You know, I I, I did a little study uh, at some time last year, and I found that uh, there's five new videos put out about me every every day. I get really? five videos a day, and most of them are negative. You know, so that just shows you how long they've been on this campaign. They've lied, they've slandered, they've misrepresented. They've reported me to the governor, the president, the FBI, the CIA, the IRS. You name it. That shit they, don't they, get tiring, uh, though, bro. Of like, course you, it gets tiring. You could just pack it up and go teach and be well off. Right, but the thing is, I very well could. With my credentials, if I could go back into the system of mental health, close my mouth, and agree to misdiagnose black kids, I could be a millionaire in six months. I could be a millionaire in six months. If I change my game, I could be a millionaire in six months. With my popularity, my skill set, my credentials, I'd be a millionaire in six months. So that also sets me apart from other people in the conscious community because I'm here because I want to be. Mm-hmm. Most of them are here because they have to be. They don't have any options. They don't have any options. This is it for them. I have plenty of options. I'm here because I was born to do the work that I'm doing. So although it gets tiring, you know, there is never a point where I feel that I must quit and walk away because I'm living my purpose. You know, some people come to consciousness mm-hmm. from prison, which is fine. Some people come to consciousness because they grew disaffected with religion. That's fine. Some people come to consciousness because they were disinvited by the white power structure. That's fine. Um, but I don't come to consciousness as a reaction to a life experience. This has this is all I've known since the fourth grade when I was nine years old in North Philadelphia taking my black history class. We had mandatory black history class from fourth, fourth and fifth grade. Mm. I fell in love with consciousness right then. Nine years old, 10 years old. I never left. So this is all I know. Before the degrees, after the gr- degrees, it doesn't matter. This is who I am. It is organically Ifa Tunde. Wow. You know, I um I got a chance to interview uh Bishop Bishop Talbert a while back and we were talking about his nigga moment and what i mean by that is that the moment when he realized that white people hated black people i when i was going to michigan state i'm riding down the street and some white guy randomly calls me a nigger had never been called a nigger before at that moment i really realized coming from detroit it's not that diverse ain't too many white people so at that moment i really realized how deep this shit was the hate of white people towards black people did you have a moment like that not really, because I've always been into the consciousness. So I was never called an N-word to my face. Uh, definitely dealt with racism. Dealt with racism yesterday. I was in a, bo- a, a Puerto Rican botanical in North Philadelphia. And the uh, older gentleman there and the younger uh, Latino woman there, I could tell they didn't want to wait on me. Uh, mm. The way he took the money from me. Uh, the, the, the way that they answered my questions. And then I contrasted that with the way they waited on the Latino couple that came in right behind me. So I've dealt with racism, you know, white, black, brown, yellow, red, every kind. But I've never, never that boldly, though, 
Okay. Where, you know, I was told to my face, you're an N-word or, or, or something like that. But, you know, in this work, within the context of what our ancestors have been through, mm-hmm. that's the walk in the park. You know, they've been through far worse than anything yeah. we can go through. So, you know, I use that as my motivation to stay focused and to keep on going. And as a reminder that we as African people don't have friends, because one of our biggest problems as a people is we want to believe other people care about us. It is it's actually mm. it is taken on the form of a mental illness, uh, so-called diversity, so-called inclusion, so-called multiculturalism, so-called integration. It is a mental illness for black people. We go out of our way to make people feel comfortable around us so they will accept us. You know, as one elder said here in Philadelphia, who's a scholar, she said, we don't have a racial ego. Dr. Hazard is her name. She said, we don't have a racial ego. Everybody else, they rally around their culture. They rally around their racial identity, not black people. All that was switched out for us and replaced with religious and fraternal loyalties. Oh my God, that 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 is absolutely true. Um, and I gotta make sure that I shout out Talib Atunde, man. Um, the Fred Hampton Gun Club. Definitely appreciate you, bro. Um, just wanna make sure, uh, cause he's uh that's your guy. Um and that's yeah, my shout guy. Shout out to Minister Talib, that's my brother. Shout out to the Fred Hampton Gun Club. Yeah, that's that definitely my guy. Um So I got three names for you. And I just want your thoughts. Roland Martin. Uh, Coon. <laughs> Donald Trump. Roland Martin is not a conscious guy. He's an opportunist. And we have a lot of those types. Roland Martin is only as good as the Democratic Party allows him to be. He is a soldier for the black bourgeoisie. He is not a grassroots soldier. You saw that during that conversation that he and I had on this show. You've seen it in other situations where he needed to take a stand on certain things and he didn't do it because it wasn't uh it, it wasn't viewed as something progressive in the eyes of the democratic party he is a democratic party uh operative that's what he is how many lashes does he get shout out to no emotion <laughs> i don't even know he's not somebody i care for i have no respect for the man he's a coon and a flunky and a black bourgeoisie okay uh donald trump racist white supremacist but he's honest you know, the honest races, I have to respect them somewhat because at least you're honest. You're not trying to mislead my people. You're not trying to lie to my people. You're not trying to use the psychological technique of the white liberal or the Democrat. You're just going to come out with the truth. The same holds true for many of the Republican presidents. You know, they can be honest because their election doesn't depend on black on the black vote. That's why they're honest. The Democratic Party, their, their election can sometimes depend on the black vote. And as a result mm-hmm. of that, they have to mislead black people about what their true intentions are. And that's why uh, President Biden is going out of his way to naturalize so many immigrants in this country as American citizens. That is being done to help uh, reduce the Democratic Party's dependency on the black vote during election day. The Democratic Party is tired of being branded the party of black America. They don't like it. It isolates them from other ethnic groups that hate black people. It isolates them from middle of the road conservative Democrats, and it isolates them from liberal Republicans. So they're trying to reduce their dependency on the black vote as much as possible. And that's why uh, President Biden has that 8 million citizen pathway to citizenship. It's Mm. somewhere between four and 8 million illegal immigrants and and immigrants that he wants to to turn into American citizens. Okay. Um, like, I, it really bothers me when people say black and. 
Like, well, like, that's that that's that pathology again. That's that pathology of wanting not to stand out. It's that pathology. Yeah. Trying to make it look like you have friends, you have supporters. We have to understand something. Truth is a very, very bitter pill for people to swallow. Any kind of truth about your life. You know, somebody comes and tells you your wife is cheating on you or somebody comes and tell you that your best friend stole from you. You know, somebody come and told, tell you that your boss is going to fire you even though you helped them build the company. Truth is a very bitter pill to swallow. Some people take their lives when they find mm. out about truth. Some people go crazy. When you see all these mass shootings and people killing their kids and murder suicides and killed his wife and killed himself or she killed her husband and killed the kids. A lot of that is centered around people finally acknowledging a very painful truth that they don't think they can survive. And black America is exactly in that very predicament. You know, telling black people you don't have no friends, telling black people the government is through and over with doing anything for you, that the worst mistake you Negroes made was worship Barack Obama instead of making him deliver anything to you. By doing that for eight years, celebrating a man who never celebrated you, gave mm. white power eight years to refuel, reorganize, reprioritize. And everything we're going through now is a direct reflection and result of black America's failure to make Barack Obama produce any results for them while in our very faces he stripped us of all our civil rights and rolled them on over to the homosexuals the Latinos and the immigrants that is our fault it is not Barack Obama's fault to his credit he never said he would do anything for black people and he never did anything for black people we projected onto him this messianic complex that our great-grandchildren are still going to be suffering the aftershock of that was a disgrace I'm the only major scholar in this country who publicly, publicly disagreed with black America's celebration and even election of Barack Obama. Why? Because when you look at the ascendancy of elected black officials to public office, the mm -hmm. black constituency always ends up worse off. You can hardly find a black elected mm -hmm. official who left black people in a better position after office than before office. You have a few, uh, Harold Jackson, uh, excuse me, Harold Washington in Chicago, would be uh, an exception. Uh, our good brother who was the mayor in Detroit for Coleman Young. Give me that again. Coleman Young. Coleman Young would be an exception. Yes. You had a few of them. Uh, Maynard Jackson in Atlanta might be an exception. You had a few, but you can't count more than five. You can't count more than five who left black people in a better position after they left office than when they came in it. So why would Barack Obama be any less of, uh, why would he be any less consistent than those who, who preceded him? You know, and my thing is this, even if he was going to give Obama a pass, you don't mm. let the world know that. You don't tell people <laughs> all he has to do is be black. We literally were all over the news saying all he has to do is be black. He don't have to deliver nothing to us. And as a result of that, every major index of black progress in this country dropped under the Obama administration. Mass incarceration went up. Homelessness went 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 up. Mm. Uh, 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 um our share of America's wealth went down. Education gains went down. So when black people tell me we've benefited from Obama being in the White House, I have yet to get any hard evidence from anybody. It's all psychological and it's all religious and it's all emotional. And you don't make political decisions based off of emotion. Black people have better wake up and smell the coffee. If we do not do the three things that we are all allergic to as a people, and we're mm -hmm. the only people who are allergic to those things, and that is organize come together, mobilize, okay. Okay. do something, and institutionalize. Build your own institutions and services that your people need. If you notice, our conversations never involve organization, 
mobilization or institutionalization. There's always some empty rhetoric. It's always waiting on a white man to give us something like reparations. It always involves some other group or God. It, it always involves intervention from the outside. Mm -hmm. The next time you hear a black conversation, listen to what they're talking about. It's always intervention from the outside. The government, uh, corporate America, uh, God, Jesus. What about us? A $2 trillion people has hmm. no excuse to be sitting around waiting for external intervention. The reason we have to do that, my brother, is we're not interested in sacrificing our own disposable income. We're not interested yeah. in sacrifice. The scariest word in black America, if black people could eliminate one word from the dictionary, it would be the word sacrifice. We are not interested in it. Damn. That is a uh, that's a humbling thought to be quite honest, uh, and, and it, it makes me think of the boycott in Memphis uh, back in the civil rights era, uh, which was like absolutely the bus boycott was probably I wouldn't even say probably for me was Montgomery, the most important part. I'm Montgomery. sorry, I'm sorry, Montgomery, um, but that was the most important part of the, the whole uh, civil rights thing for me. Movement. I don't want to say thing. I don't want to disparage it. Um, it. It showed them how much. And we sacrifice for a long ass time together. Is do you think that's a real? Is that even realistic anymore? Or no? We just done. Again, is that is that realistic anymore for us to sacrifice? Like I know you say we want to get rid it's of always it, but realistic you, because this is the only way you're getting out of this. <laughs> you, you understand me? Mm -hmm. it, it, it's not a question. In other words, what other option do you have? Show me any people. In human history, you could even use the Bible and the Quran if you want, although mm -hmm. I don't consider those historically accurate texts, but you can use any book you want, any race, any period of time. Show me any people who got out of their situation without organization and leadership. Because you even hear black people say things like, we don't need no leaders. Why you never hear Chinese people say, we don't need no leaders? Why you hear, never hear European Jews say, we don't we need no leaders? Why you never hear Arabs and East Indians and Chinese say, we don't need no leaders? You know why black people love to say we don't need no leaders? Because black people don't believe in respecting or following sincere, authentic black leadership. We, we will follow white folks. White folks could lead us to hell if they want. And we'll mm. listen. You understand? We'll follow Joe Biden. We'll follow, we'll follow um, Bill Clinton. We'll follow Jimmy Carter. You understand me? But... We won't follow each other. You understand? We have an issue with anything black. Our self-hatred, our self-hatred is at the heart and soul of why we cannot come together. Mm -hmm. Black people are in a are, are in pursuit of a life of whiteness. The average Negro wants a world surrounded by white people where he is accepted by those white people. See that black people's problem ain't freedom. It's not equality. It's not justice. It's acceptance by white people. That's what we want. If most black people could change their race, most of them would become white overnight. You can clearly tell by the amount of black men who suffer from the snow bunny crisis. You can clearly tell by the amount of black women who blind their hair, dye their hair, bleach their hair. Look at all the blonde and brunette wigs and weaves running around in the black community. That is not a natural hair color of black women. Most of our ancestors come from West and Central Africa. That is not a natural hair color of West and Central Africans. On average, it's not. Mm -hmm. Okay, you have your albinos and you do have some other genetic uh, derivations that will give rise to that, but it's not a regular hair color. We're doing it because we think that's beauty. Black women thinks that's beauty. So if you will go out of your way to emulate white people, if given the opportunity, why would you not transform yourself into one? Is it is it just black women's view or is it black men celebrating that view? It's both. 
It's the self-hatred of black women and it is the self-hatred of black men who prefer a woman who has a European uh, phenotype. It is actually both. And mm -hmm. I believe that black men are more at fault than the black woman because I think that if we stood up as men, which we haven't done in about 56 years since Dr. King's murder, not politically or economically, we haven't. Black men have done nothing collectively for the black race since Dr. King's murder. Okay, do me a favor. I'm not the brightest apple in the bunch. Break down Pan-Africanism for me. Sure. Now, before I do, just to uh, uh, conclude that point, I believe that black men, if we came together as a movement and said, listen, black sister, we want everybody natural. We want everybody natural. That's a $30 billion decision we just made. Do you understand that? Yes. If black men told sisters, we're not dating you unless you're natural. That's a $30 billion decision we just made. Now, black women got $30 billion that they can use to build institutions, build uh, programs for our girls, build mental mm. health treatment centers to help all the black girls who have been sexually abused and sexually trafficked and so forth and so on. Our political and cultural decisions are also economic. We have to understand that. This yes. is why Thanks. every other group benefits mexicans benefit from decisions to align themselves with their culture because what it says is anytime we align with our culture we automatically keep that money in the community because we're the only people who can produce our cultural artifacts we're the only people who can genuinely practice our cultural ritual you mm -hmm. understand so our cultural decisions our psychological decisions automatically have economic ramifications so we have to keep that in mind now Pan-Africanism, if I was to sum that up, I would give it three simple, three simple uh, principles. Uh, principle number one, all African people are a single family. We are family, no okay. matter where we are, what our complexion is, what our hair texture is, what our religion is, what flag we pray allegiance, pledge allegiance to, what God we worship, what language we speak, whether you're in South Africa speaking Kosa, or whether you're in Brazil speaking Portuguese, whether you're in Haiti with French, whether in the United Kingdom with the Queen's English or in America speaking Ebonics, we are one race and we should identify and operate as a single racial family. If, if African people practice oneness, because that's all Pan-Africanism is, it is a synonym for oneness. If African people globally practice oneness, we would be unstoppable. We would have people eating out of our hands, which is to say what? Our situation is not exclusively due to our race. Mm. It's a, race is a symptom. Our situation is due to the lack of organization. Once we get strong, the world will be compelled to respect us. We don't agree. Look at China. China was once weak, dejected, yes. irrespected, Thanks. disrespected. When Mao Zedong went to Russia, Stalin wouldn't even shake his hand. Stalin wouldn't even shake his hand. Look at China now. Look at China now. They can laugh at the Russians. Let's go to England. The, the, the Germans once considered the English a poor slave. They said the English were not even good enough to be a slave. They damn near ran 75% of the world during the heyday of the British Empire fueled by slavery and colonization. Look at India. East India was a backwards, ignored nation. Now they're the tech giant of the modern world. So I know what we can do, but what brought China out of that, what brought uh, England out of that, what brought India out of her backness was a racial pride. 
that said we were great before and we will be great again. Black people have yet to get to that. We are so selfish, individualistic. And what keeps us in this downward spiral, my brother, is we continue to make deals with the devil that disproportionately disadvantage African people. Point number two, as Africa goes, so goes the African diaspora. Mm. As Africa goes, so goes the African diaspora. This is one of the big differences we would have with, you know, these uh, African-American tribal groups who want black people to either disconnect, okay, or, or, or disaffect from their African roots. It's ridiculous because you'll never be greater than your international homeland. You have never seen a people get respect anywhere on earth that exceeded the respect of their national home. No Indian in the world got respect till East India got it. No Chinese in the world got respect till China got it. No European Jew in the world got respect till Israel got it. It's going to be the same way with black people. Thinking we're going to be thinking we're going to achieve freedom, justice, and equality without the same happening in Africa is ridiculous. Why? Because your international homeland is your political power base for your race. The international homeland is the political power base for the race. So if that power base ain't strong, Mm -hmm. No matter where you are in the world, you're strong. It's not a coincidence that police in America only consistently execute blacks. There's Chinese gangs. There's Mexican gangs in America. Everybody has gangs in this country. Everybody commits crime in this country. Everybody breaks the law, runs the stop sign, has an, has an outstanding warrant. Why is it that black people are the only ones consistently murdered by police? Because you have no international power base. You have no country that's willing to stand up and stand out for you. And until we build that, we'll never get it. In the, and you know what the great crisis and crucible of this, my brother, mm -hmm. the great crisis and crucible of this situation lies in the fact that we have the money to make Africa great again. The diaspora, yeah, yeah, Black America in particular, yes. we have the money to make Africa great again. Imagine, my brother, if we organized ourselves, so when Ghana needs 50 million, we got you. When when Senegal needs 30 million, we got you. When Kenya needs 5 million, we got you. When Jamaica needs 2 million, we got you. When the Bahamas need a couple million, we got you. If we were organized, brother, you know how much respect we would get from the African race around the world to be able to say Black America is the reason you got new schools. Black America is the reason you got new roads, new hotels, new hospitals. Black America is the reason you got jobs. So we're sitting around crying mm -hmm. about being disrespected by African immigrants and Africans around the world. We're crying about being mistreated by whites, reds, browns, and yellows, while, while at the same time, we have the economic potential to change all that in one year. We could change it in a year, my brother, but the reason we can't do it, Black people are not interested in what? Any sacrifice whatsoever. And the last principle I'll give you on Pan-Africanism, and there's many, but the last one I'll give you is self-determination. Okay. Anything that is to be done for Africans must be done by Africans. That is a very powerful principle because it separates us from everybody else. Mm -hmm. We don't take money from no other race at all. No other race can join our movements. Okay. Black family must be built by black men and black women. Black. If you got a black church, it better be a black Jesus. Everything better look like you. Everything better be about you. Everything better be, be controlled by you. As the most honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey said, greatest black organizer in human history, 
No other person in human history has ever brought together 13 million people, especially without a nation state that he controlled, without helicopter, airplane, internet, or cell phone. He did that. Garvey said we need black manufacturers, black distributors, black yes. producers. Yes. Yes. Well, what do you do for fun, bro? Like I see the memes and some of the shit, and I see I see you posting some of the memes about yourself, and some of it's pretty funny. Like you, you're not super serious all the time. Like, what do you just enjoy to do? Well, here's the thing: strength is not in rigidity. Within your platform, you have to find room for some flexibility. Mm-hmm. You, you never compromise your principles. So my principles don't change okay. at all. But your strategy and tactics might. And so for me, understanding how popular I am amongst the youth, I'm probably the most popular black activist and scholar in American history among the youth. I don't know of another scholar. I'm talking ancestors, too. I'm Mm -hmm. talking everybody. I'm talking everybody. I don't think there's ever been another person, scholar, activist in American history who was as popular amongst the youth, 25 and under, all the way down to kindergarten. I don't think you can find another person who has my popularity amongst the youth in the history of this country, including our ancestors. Nobody had what I have when it comes to the youth. And because I have so many young people, I have to be somewhat flexible because Mm -hmm. I have to draw them in in order to transform their minds. If you can't get them to buy in, you can't change them. Right. You how do you catch the mice? You got to put some cheese. You want to catch the bees, you got to need a little bit of nectar. You got to have something. <laughs> How do you catch a fish? Because you got the worm on the hook. So so recently, I've started to post some of the memes that I consider to be less derogatory mm-hmm. and really exemplary of what I stand for. So most of them are the snow bunny memes, where it just shows people calling me up when they see somebody violating the racial code of, of honor. You know, so none of the memes that I post are disrespectful towards me. I only use the satirical memes that basically overemphasize what i stand for i will never post anything that disrespects my message yo the one the ones where like it, it's, it's it's a black person doing some shit that's off code and and you just staring down at them oh my god yeah yeah i don't know who invented that you know that that, that stare down that came from making georgia that was me on stage in making georgia i was double checking my cell phone before i spoke in making georgia shout out to uh, making georgia um, and that's where they took that from. You know, I'm probably the most memed. I'm definitely the most portraited. Uh, and it's interesting, too, because as you know, I'm a kinsman to Frederick Douglass, uh, not a descendant. I'm a kin. I'm a descendant of his first cousin, Stephen Henry Bailey, mm-hmm. who he by name and narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. But anyhow, Frederick Douglass was the most portraited American of the uh, 19th century. I'm not the most portraited American of the, uh, or should I say American-African. I'm not the most portraited American, excuse me, I'm not the most portraited person in America. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's white people who have who have been portraited more than me. But black America, I am the most, so far, I'm the most portraited American African of the 21st century. So amongst our people- More than Jordan? Say that again. More than Jordan? Uh, you're dealing with athletes, okay. Uh, I wasn't dealing with them. Okay, <laughs> I got you. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. I, well, let's go with uh, non-celebrity. Non-entertainment. Non-entertainment. And okay. I'll be honest with you. You could even include entertainment for the most part. You know, you do have some exceptions like Jordan, LeBron. Uh, I guess you could say minus the moguls. Okay. If you took the moguls out, the Jay-Zs, the Puffies, the Tylers, the 50 Cents, 
you might got a few of them who's more portrayed, but I really wasn't dealing with celebrities. I was kind of dealing with secular blacks, uh, folks who, you know, everyday black scholars, politicians, activists, uh, I'm the most portrayed amongst them. I probably had my likeness rendered in artwork and drawings without my request, by the way, over a hundred times, probably even more than 200 times. All right. Let me, let me ask your opinion. Okay. Say, say you've got a, uh, you've got a child. Um, you, you, we know how you feel about interracial relationships, but your child feels differently, goes out and has a baby by a white guy. How do you deal with the grandchild? I know you don't cut them off, but how do you teach them? Who they are well first of all the parent is the first teacher so i wouldn't be able to teach them nothing unless the parents you know were in alignment with with with, with my political platform you know okay. so i understand that much you know but at the frederick douglas marcus garvey academy if we have a mixed race african boy he's going to be taught to be african like everybody else there is no difference okay. uh, it's not until recently that we decided to start um highlighting mixed race africans as being separate on the plantation they were one of us in the civil war they were one of us jim crow they were one of us see in america we never dealt with the uh the hierarchy of legally codified complexions in the caribbean islands in the caribbean islands they had about 16 different racial groups you could be octoroon quadroon mulatto this and that and these were legally determined so if you hmm. were a certain uh, stock, you know, if you were one eighth black, you could probably work at the airport, but you can work in the government. And that's a big reason why we have so much skin bleaching in the Caribbean, because although it's no longer legally enforced, it's still pretty much socially enforced. But hmm. in black America, it didn't matter if your mother was white and you, your dad was black or your dad was white, your mother was black, you were still black. You were still called the N-word just like everybody else. Was there a little bit of social privilege? You could end up working in the house versus the field? Of course you could. But there was no great differential of a treatment or experience between the mixed race African on the plantation and the full-blooded African on the plantation. In fact, one of the reasons the mixed race sisters hated being mixed race so much is, number one, they didn't want the complexion of the oppressor. And number two, being mixed race often meant they were more likely to be sexually abused. You understand. Mm -hmm. So we never had no light skin, dark skin. Don't get me wrong. It, it, it was an issue. Mm -hmm. It was an issue, but it wasn't as bad of an issue as it is today. Okay, you understand? Gotcha. Nobody was going to tell Fred Douglas you're not black because your mother was raped by the slave master. <laughs> you understand me? Yes. Nobody was going to tell Bob Marley you're not black because your dad happens to be white. You know, uh, nobody was going to do that. We didn't have an issue. We understood that they were still part of us. It's not until recently with this whole new, you know, American African tribalism that we want to peace out everybody and practice our own eugenics. And all we're doing is uh, participating in divide and conquer, separate and rule. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Intellectually, when you want to have just a really good stimulating conversation, who would you consider an intellectual equal? Well, I, I don't really need an intellectual conversation with anybody because most folks out there, number one, they don't do no work. They're all talkers, mm -hmm. um, to be honest with you. So it's not nobody. There's nobody out there who I would love to have a conversation with him. I, I would love to have a conversation with my ancestors. You know, I'm always talking to them by reading their work. You know, Garvey, Douglas, Nat Turner, Gabriel Prosser, uh, John Jacques Dessalines. If I could speak with anybody, it would be ancestors. There's nobody walking around that I'm in awe of. You know, because nobody's doing any work. You know, everybody's talking and teaching and no work. Where's the where's the organization at? Where's where's the institution? So there's nobody out there I'm really thrilled with. You know, there's people I respect, you know, but nobody I'm, you know, I would love to sit down with him 
if I thought long enough, I might could come up with a few people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my elders, to be honest with you, I have elders across the conscious community, people who are not necessarily on YouTube per se. Okay. But I look forward to talking to them. Okay. You know, I got my elders here in Philly. I love speaking with them sitting at their feet. I love speaking with uh, some of my elder Garveyites around the country. I got elders in other countries and continents. I can't wait to sit down with the elders now. I do have those. Okay. You know? so, yes, yes. Without question, I got elders who I love to uh, sit down in front of and just listen to their wisdom. I do that all the time. You know, in fact, I would credit them, to be honest with you, I would credit my elders uh, that I've had the opportunity to be around. Many of them are now ancestors. I still have a few of them. They have helped me polish uh, my political vision. Mm-hmm. You know, I would get, you know, I'm one of those people who always sat under the elders. I always did it. In my days of the UNIA, when my elders in Philly were still alive, I would sit at their feet every Sunday at the Garvey meetings, and I just soaked it up and soaked it up and soaked it up. And I can't tell you what exactly they said that affected me, but I would be a fool to sit here and tell you, having sat under elders for 10, 20 years, that that didn't help improve, you know, the efficiency uh, of my thinking and the efficiency of my vision. I'm sure it has. So I am a product not only of getting black history as a child early in life, I'm Mm -hmm. also a product of what can happen when you sit at the feet of your elders. So I very much look forward to sitting down with elders. I love our elders. When I go to a new city or when I return to a city, when I meet an elder, they start talking to me. Let's go to dinner. Let's go to lunch. Give me your number. Let's call. I want all your wisdom because you probably got something that I can use towards Mm -hmm. helping liberating our people. So I'm very much humble in the presence, you know, of my elders. But in terms of people with names on YouTube and popular scholars, I am. I'm not impressed by it. <laughs> I will say this, man, just just from the outside looking in, watching you over the years, uh, I'm proud of the growth. Like it, there has definitely been a change. Er, Ten years ago, it, it may have been a little bit more confrontational. Um, now, it's just, the wisdom and the eloquence is at is at an all time high. Just this, just the, the whole presentation. It, it's, well, I'm still it's a beautiful thing to see. African, you know, and if I got to. You know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll draw my Ogun sword in a minute because I'm a son of Ogun and Ogun is the father of war. So that's my archetype. You okay. know what I mean? So that's who I am at heart. I'm a warrior. Uh, I don't think in this lifetime it was intended for me to necessarily be a physical warrior, per se. Mm-hmm. I think it was intended for me to be an intellectual warrior, you mm-hmm. know, a political warrior, economic warrior. But I don't know because maybe within my destiny, I may need to lead an army. I don't know that yet. But Ogun is very much my essence. And I can understand why, because in the work that I have to do, as you've already spoken to earlier during this conversation, I've had to deal with a lot of adversaries, a lot of adversarial energy, Mm -hmm. black, white, spiritual, physical, institutional and individual. You know, so I understand why Ogun had to walk with me in this life, because if any other divinity had to walk with me, I don't know if I could have stood up against that pressure, you know, trying to do this school and save the people. And every day you're dealing with sabotage from family, sabotage from people you thought were friends, sabotage from people you went to school with, sabotage from people in the conscious community. Like one of the things that have shocked me over the years, if you say, what's something that shocked you? One, a few, one of the things that shocked me was people who I really thought were genuine friends of mine to find out that they were undercover haters. That was something that has blown my mind, you know, and it's been family who fall in that category. Uh, my father is one of my biggest haters. Really? Um, my biological father, hands down, he's one of my biggest haters. Um, and I have Why do you say that? Because he is. Just go watch his videos. I don't want to give him too much energy in this conversation. Okay. Uh, you can watch his videos and see for yourself, you know, but that don't bother me, though. You understand? Because um, I'm focused on what I know why I'm here. 
And, you know, one of the things that I'm going to teach and preach at the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy to our young men and eventually our young women, because we will have the female academy later on down the road, is knowing your purpose, brother. Knowing my purpose has insulated me from so many mistakes. It's insulated me from so much failure. It has insulated me spiritually and psychologically to be able to continue to forge forward like the Ogun spirit that I am mm. towards the successful completion of my goals. I'm telling you, when you know why you're here, when you have a definitive reason to live, when you have a definitive reason to live, nothing can stop you. Hmm. You know, and for, you know, and psychologically, of course, this is something we deal with in the world of psychology. Of course, my doctorate is clinical and mm -hmm. I'm also a certified school psychologist. So I go between both worlds, you know, but even in psychology, when a, we try to get our patients, our clients to develop a purpose. Why are you living? We need you to come up with a purpose, because once you find your purpose, that's going to help us kick this depression. It's going to help us kick this anxiety. It's going to help us kick these suicidal thoughts. It's going to help us kick this low self-esteem. You need something that drives you. For me, Pan-Africanism, the liberation of black people, building schools for our children, helping our parents keep their children out of special ed and ADHD and so forth and so on. That's a driving passion for me. And when you have a purpose for being alive, none of the stuff that comes up against you is ultimately going to stop you. It might sit you down for a minute. You might have to get down on one knee after you take a blow like a football player who just got caught catching that pass in the middle of the field, you know, and got crushed <laughs> by two linebackers at the same time. Yeah, I, I got to sit out a few plays. But guess what? Once I catch my breath, I'm getting I'm right back in because yes. I have a purpose for winning this game. You know, so that's my thing. You know, I'm not a materialistic guy. I've never been in love with expensive merchandise. I've always kept my feet to the ground. I'm extremely humble. I think that's another reason why I'm so popular amongst our people, because I've never left them. I've never left them. I am humble. I don't leave the lecture till every picture is taken. Every book is signed. Whenever I do an interview, I give 110 percent. Whenever I'm helping a parent, I give 110%. When I'm doing my life coaching to help people get their life together, I give 110%. You know what I'm saying? And people see that in me. I'm not perfect. You know, I've made my mistakes like anybody else has in life. You mm -hmm. know, but when it comes to this struggle, very few people can say they're more committed to it than me. So if somebody wants to teach at your school, how, they, how, how do they uh, apply? They need to send a resume. And right now we're only accepting resumes, fdmgresumes at gmail.com. And that, again, that's fdmgresumes at gmail.com. And that resume needs to be accompanied with a photo as well as a cover letter. And that cover letter should include who you are. Tell us about who you are and why you think you should be teaching at this school. Why do you want to be here of all places? Because understand, I'm Pan-Africanist. We have a very strict code, a very strict code of honor. We don't mm -hmm. tolerate what other organizations tolerate. You come work at this school, ain't going to be no weaves, ain't going to be no perms, ain't going to be no snow bunny hopping, none of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Ain't no white Christ. If any of that is in your life, then you don't need to be coming here. You know, we're looking for people who have a who, who's calling in life is to prepare the next generation of black leaders. You understand? We ain't looking for nobody who want a job. We ain't giving out jobs. You understand? We giving out missions. So unless you want to be part of a movement, you mm -hmm. need to be and looking at this school. We are not what you've ever seen before. This school is going to change the whole trajectory. For if I want, black if children. I want my son to go there. Well, at the appropriate time, there will be an opportunity for parents to come to the Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey Academy, participate in our open houses. There will be a time where they can go online and fill out the interest forms, fill out the applications. But that time is not now. Um, and we got about 10 more minutes to go. I saw you talking about uh, RNA food, I think it was. Yes, yes. Uh, RNA resistant crop, I believe is what it is. They discovered a way where they can put disease into the seeds. Uh, somebody just sent me an article about it this morning. 
because when I spoke on it on the uh, Roundaway podcast, mm-hmm. uh, people thought I was making it up. So somebody said, here you go, Doc. And this morning, somebody actually sent me an article speaking about the same thing. And, and the article that they sent me this morning talked about how they can put the vaccination in the crop. I didn't even know the fact. They said they can put the COVID vaccination in the seed. So when you eat the fruits and vegetables, you can be eating the vaccination itself. Mm, that's interesting. It, it, but see, here's the situation. This would not even be a problem if we had our own. See, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it right back to Pan-Africanism. Why we ain't got our own? All this money we wasting, we ain't got our own supermarkets, we ain't got our own farms. Now, we do got black farmers, but yes. we haven't organized a national distribution system to get the crop from the black farmers out to all the major black cities and all the black cities, period. Okay. Organization, mobilization, institutionalization. Nobody talks about it. Nobody oh. talks about it. Shout out to Malik Yakini in Detroit. Say that again. Shout out to Malik Yakini in Detroit. Huge community community garden expert. They got a uh, a grocery store, black owned, that they built from the ground up. Coming, I want to say it's opening this year. So shout out to them. And so you know we have to get organized. You know we need national networks. It can't be a one man show. You know FDMG. Once we get FDMG open, we got to franchise the school all over the world. You know, but that's my mission. I, I'm taking that on. I can't take everything on. You know, we got all these so-called experts in this and experts in that. Well, if you're so much of an expert, why haven't you built anything? Let's go over to the medical world. One of my greatest disappointments in the modern time is the fact that we got all these black medical doctors and we ain't got no black hospitals. We got a handful of them. But why we ain't built no new black hospitals with all these black medical doctors? Because everybody wants to be a part of the white man's reality. Nobody wants their own reality. And that's what separates the Pan-Africans from everybody else. We want our own. Is there something for our, our elite, our ec- economical, economic, our rich folks? Is there something that we can do as a community to put more pressure or, or should we put more pressure on our rich folks to actually do something community oriented? How are you going to put more pressure on the rich folks when we're not even doing nothing? Before we can go to Jay-Z or Tyler Perry or Oprah Winfrey or Bob Johnson, you understand, before we can go to uh, Kanye or 50 Cent or any of these people, we got to first show and prove that we're serious. How are you going to bypass the people with thousands of dollars and go to the people with billions? How are you going to bypass the people with millions and go to the people with... Are you kidding me? If I am a billionaire, I'm not doing nothing until you show me you're serious. Because I got too much to lose. I'm at the top of the food chain. And I'm saying this in defense of the billionaires, although I do think they should be doing more than what they're doing. Now, mm-hmm. one of them have built a, 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 a major institution. Everybody keeps talking about LeBron James School. LeBron James ain't got no damn school. That's a public school with his name on it. Yeah, he gives them money. He gives them sneakers. He don't control nothing. He didn't design the curriculum. He don't hire and fire nobody. It's a school with his name on LeBron James got a school. No, the hell he don't. Puff Daddy got charter schools. He ain't got no school that he owns. You understand me? Where are the institutions that we can call ours? The LeBron James school ain't Hmm. ours. That's owned by the state of Ohio. Sean Puffy charter schools aren't ours. They're owned by the state of New York. What do we have that we can call our own? Hmm. You can't hold no rich person responsible when you're not even holding the people on the ground responsible. I'm not doing nothing to change my condition. I'm just going to pass the buck to Beyonce and Jay-Z. Come on. I would tell them, don't write a check. Really? Okay. I'm trying to think. Does Jalen Rose, is his... uh... Charter school. Charter school. Charter school. None of them built a school with their own money that they own and control. Not one of them. Hmm. Wow. Not one of them. I'm the only one. 
You can keep thinking, but you ain't gonna get nobody. I'm the only one doing it. <laughs> if people want consciousness. People want to, um, they, they want to book you for a, a consultation. They want to book you for, to come to their city and speak. How do they go about doing that? How do they get well, in touch with you? Well, the first thing I want them to donate to the Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey Academy. I want them to hit the cash app, dollar sign, FDMG school on the cash app. Make sure you're getting the right one. There's a lot of fake cash apps. I've went to cash app. They won't take them down. I guess they're part of the conspiracy themselves. Maybe they're the ones stealing the money. There is a new cash app that's a fake one that is exactly the same as ours. But mm -hmm. in school, you know, school has two O's, two letter O's. They switched out a letter O for a number zero. Wow. So you have to look at it really, really closely to make sure you're getting the right one. And all you got to do is go to my website, drumarjohnson.com and click on it from there. Or you could text message me. Uh, my cell phone number is public because my life is public. 215-989-9858. Again, 215 nine eight nine nine eight five eight once more for your listeners two one five nine eight nine nine eight five eight and for my international africans or paypal users mm -hmm. you can go to paypal and that link is paypal.me slash fdmg academy paypal.me slash fdmg academy and they can also mail check a money order payable to fdmg academy p.o box 9634 wilmington delaware one nine eight oh nine that information is also on the website but again they can also uh text message me if they would as far as following me on social media uh twitter and instagram at dr umar johnson on twitter and instagram on facebook dr umar ifatunde i-f-a-t-u-n-d-e that's my yoruba name that means destiny has returned uh dr umar ifatunde on facebook and on TikTok. Prince of Pan-Africanism with a K. Prince of Pan-Africanism with a C has over 2 million followers with all my content. Some fake, some fake phony fabricator out there has built a TikTok page of 2 million followers with all my content. Uh, that's not my page. My page is Prince of Pan-Africanism with a K. I'm working with an entertainment attorney right now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to see what we can do about all these people who are stealing and plagiarizing my work, getting paid for it, and not even making a donation to the school. So we got to do something because too many people are making a lot of money off my name. And it's time for me to do something about that because we got institutions to build. I'm just not out here talking and running my mouth like 99.9% .9 of all other so-called conscious personalities. I'm fighting a major war with the school system and the mental health system. And I'm building a major institution with the Frederick Douglass Marcus Garvey Academy. And I think all sincere fighters for our people should be engaged in a fight against the power structure and engaged in the building of an institution. And I'm doing both. And I should I should be able to expect that from everybody else. What I expect from myself. Yo, I don't know how you do the public persona shit, bro. That's just I just couldn't see it. Like, What I you mean? What you mean? Like, I couldn't like so many people would have, you know, that. If you're out in the public, just like you said, people, they know who you are. Like, I can go to the grocery store and just go to the grocery store. It's not an experience for somebody to see no, it's me. It's an experience for me. Yesterday, I was in the grocery store. <laughs> and this doesn't include the two sisters who I ran into. Shout out to those beautiful African queens. They were beautiful. Um, I was at the grocery store yesterday as well, or the day before yesterday. And I probably got stopped five times. Um, it's, it's at the point now. And this is not a complaint. I love mm -hmm. love because it's the it's the fuel that keeps me going. Because, you know, one thing that my ancestors, I think they do this whenever I'm having a bad day. Whenever I'm having a bad day, mm -hmm. I'm going to run into a supporter who's going to lift my spirits. It happens every time, bro.
mm-hmm. every time at the right time. Like, you know what? I'm tired of these Negroes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm tired. <laughs> and, that, and that day, guess what? I'm going to run into an elder. I'm going to run into a college kid. I'm going to run into a middle school kid. I'm going to run into a support. I'm going to run into somebody mm-hmm. who's going to say to me, don't you stop. I once had an elder. I'll never forget this because it touched me. He texted me, though. This wasn't face to face. He said, you better be real. You better not be a phony or a fraud because I'm putting all my faith in you. I'm riding with you. I don't have a lot of time left on this earth. But if you fail, I'm giving up. Mm. You know what I'm saying? To hear an elder tell you, you the only reason I still got hope for our people. You know Mm. what I'm saying? So I know the burden I carry and I carry it with pride because I believe I was born to do it. I don't think it's no coincidence. I'm related to Frederick Douglass, the greatest black leader by far in the history of this country. That's no coincidence. It's no coincidence I'm related to Bishop Alexander Wayne, seventh bishop of the AME, who was an underground railroad chair. In fact, William Still, who collected the largest uh, compilation of escaped slave narratives in the Mm -hmm. history of slavery in America, Mm -hmm. William Still inherited the Philadelphia Underground Railroad office from my ancestor, Bishop Alexander Wayman. You know, it's no coincidence I was born on the anniversary of the Haitian Revolution and the Nat Turner War, August the 21st. None of these things are coincidences. You know what I'm saying? So I know the work I got to do. You know, I'm no better than nobody else. I'm very humble with it. But I tell you this, if somebody tries to disrespect me, I, I won't hesitate to let somebody know who I am. Because, you know, sometimes when you're too humble, people don't think you know who you are. And sometimes yeah. I got to let people know I'm amongst you because I choose to be because this is who I am. I'm a down to earth brother. Don't get it twisted. You understand? I'm one of the most popular people on the face of the earth. I ain't never been on Oprah. I ain't never sold out. I'm no homosexual. I don't belong to fraternities, no sororities, no Masonic lodges. I don't belong to no secret, nothing. And I still have the following of a celebrity, probably the first black man to reach this level of popularity globally with my message, being a nationalist and a pan-Africanist, you've never seen this before. Never been done before. Man, um, and if nobody tells you today, bro, I'm proud of you. I appreciate the love. Appreciate I appreciate you, love. man, for stopping by, man. It's been an honor and a privilege. Um, I don't know what I can possibly do for you, but if there's anything you can think of, bro, let me know, and I got you. No problem, King. Appreciate you. Know? you. No doubt, man. On that note, man, I'm going to let you go ahead and get about your day. Um, thanks for y'all. Thanks to y'all for tuning in. I can't even say this shit, man. But this has been Jobs, man, and another episode of Intellectually Petty Radio. And if you don't know, man, it is your talent that gets you on the show, but it's your story that makes you stand out. And I only fuck with legends around here. Dr. Umar is absolutely no exception. On that note, we out. Y'all have a good one. Peace. Peace and love.